Good morning. When I was at university, one of my best friends who I've grown up with moved with his family to Virginia, America. And I was able to go and visit him, which was, which was amazing after he'd been there a little while. And because he'd been there, he'd kind of got a life and part, been part of a community. So I was able to kind of not just go and do the tourist thing, but actually experience some of the culture uh, in America. And I thought really it would just be basically the same as here, but it really wasn't. Now, I mean, lots of, you know, everything is just massive over there, the, the roads and the cars and the parking spaces and the drinks that you get and the donuts, everything's big. Um, and even the, the, the dialect was actually noticeably different, even though you've kind of grown up watching American telly. Uh, he ended up, maybe unsurprisingly, marrying an American girl uh, a few years later and went back out for the wedding there. Um, and now live in the UK, which is great, but they got married in America and uh, went into, I remember there was, there was a time when it was me and I guess a bunch of us lads who had gone for the wedding. We went into uh, Dunkin' Donuts because, you know, went in Rome and um, we were obviously noticeably different in, in the room. And one, well, so one thing in America, they, it turns out, would not use the word cheers in a way that certainly I and my friends wouldn't buy to say thanks. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Um, so they thought it was just the, the people who were serving us thought it was really funny uh, that we would kept saying, oh, cheers, cheers, cheers. And, and it was all quite entertaining. And then when we walked out to leave, the guy behind the counter said, have a cheers day. <laughs> and it was it was really quite funny. Um, but they were obviously trying to welcome us, um, but got it slightly wrong. It was surprising to me how obvious it was that I was foreign when I went to America. Now, obviously, it'd be even more obvious where to go somewhere uh, far east or somewhere like that. But even in America, it was very obvious. And this morning, we're starting a new preaching series looking at the book of First Peter. And if you are a Christian, you may well increasingly, it may well be increasingly obvious to you that you don't quite fit in this world. And that is because you don't. A major theme in this letter uh, of First Peter is that Christians are exiles or foreigners in this world. It's, it is not inappropriate for the Christian experience to be like my American experience, where it is just very clear that we are simply different from the people that we are surrounded by. But we are not just on holiday here on earth. We live here as exiles, as aliens even, in a foreign land. And this book, this letter, speaks into our situation in that way uh, and just encourages us. I, I trust we'll be so encouraged and inspired as Christians to live out our Christian lives as exiles. We've called this series Elect Exiles, which is taken from the first few words, uh, who the letter is addressed to. And uh, I'm going to preach this morning just from the first two verses by way of introduction to this, this amazing letter 
we won't go quite that slowly all the way through. We'll be, we'll be here for 10 weeks, um, 10 weeks preaching through this letter. Well, why not read it? I mean, go, you know, today or, or at some point this week, 15 minutes to read this letter. Go home and read it. Get into it as we preach through uh, this passage. So I'll start with the first two verses of 1 Peter. If you've got a Bible, then I'd really encourage you to get it out and keep it open in front of you. It's great to have the verses open throughout. Um, just a couple. One bit, quite easy to find. Just go to the back and then work backwards um, to find 1 Peter. It's near the back of your Bible. So it starts, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's a great way to start a letter. It starts with um, this introduction um, to, to the letter, but also it kind of introduces the theme that, that Peter will focus on. Um, it was normal uh, in those days to start a letter with the author. We would normally start by saying to someone. They would start by saying from. And so it starts with Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, the apostle Peter, is the writer of the letter. And so this is the same Peter, right, that we kind of looked at over Easter a little bit. We looked at the Easter story through his eyes, um, and we saw that at that point at least. He was a bit of a hothead, really. Interesting character, this guy. He got a story, right? He once said to Jesus that he was the Christ, the Messiah, and and Jesus said, yes, this is, heaven and earth has revealed this to you. And then Jesus went on to say how he needed to die. And Peter then says, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You should never die. And then Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And imagine Jesus, imagine Jesus calling you Satan. That, that's Peter's experience. He once said to Jesus that he would never deny him. Shortly before denying him three times in quick succession, then Jesus restored him uh, by, by loving him over a barbecue on a beach with some fish. And then the spirit was poured out on Peter and he was totally transformed to a new man. And then this letter he wrote 30 years later, really, from those events. Uh, and he is able, with all what God's done in him, to write this amazing letter encouraging Christians. And it's written to uh, Christians actually in a really similar context to our own today, which is one of the reasons why it's a great letter to preach through and study together. It says to God's elect, goes on to essentially saying to Christians scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen. This is Christians who have been kind of scattered across this broad area of what was Asia Minor, now, in the, in the world today, physical persecution of Christians is very real and, and prevalent across the world. Now, it's not our situation in, in the UK, but it is happening. Here's some statistics from uh, Open Doors Charity. 
Around the world, 5,621 Christians were killed for their faith last year. So it's, it's about 15 every day. In the past year, over 2,000 churches and church buildings were attacked, looted, or forcibly closed. Around 140,000 Christians were displaced from their home or country for faith-related reasons in the past year. I mean, these are, this real. Persecution is real today in the world. I, it actually it feels it's so weighty, it feels like it would be inappropriate to kind of rattle off some statistics without praying for the persecuted church. Let me pray. Oh God, we ask that you would turn the tide in these nations where persecution is so prevalent and vitriolic and dangerous. Lord, would you intervene for these believers? And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that you would grant them grace and peace in abundance. Lord, grant them grace to face what they are facing and grant them peace. What a, we thank you that they can know peace even in these situations and we ask that they would. Be with them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very real persecution today, but it is not our context. And whilst some of the New Testament is addressed to people in that very situation, Revelation, for example, First Peter is, is not really. The, the, this letter is addressed to people who weren't experiencing kind of state-sponsored, organized persecution, but maybe were experiencing kind of sporadic mistreatment or ridicule and shame for being identified with Christ. And our increasingly post-Christian world has a lot in common with, with their pre-Christian world, where those who live for Jesus in this world will be seen as different and occasionally treated differently. And the premise of this message this morning is, and in these opening verses is this, because we are chosen and saved by God, we are exiles in this land. Because we're chosen and saved by God, we are exiles in this land. And as we explore this, we'll kind of explore and introduce a few themes that, are, that will come through this letter. Let's un unpack it a bit. What do each of those mean? What does it mean that we are chosen, saved by God? And, and also, why is that good news? And what does it mean that we are exiles? And particularly, how, what does that mean for how we live as Christians today? Who are Christians? They are those who have been chosen and saved by God. What is it to be a Christian in the 21st century, south of England? It is to be chosen by God and exiles in this land. This letter is written to God's elect. Peter himself, he knows the joy and encouragement of being chosen. He knows it not because he was anything special. He was a kind of ragged fisherman when Jesus chose him. But he knows the joy of being chosen because of the grace of God, by the grace of God. Christians, that is the church, are chosen like Israel was chosen. Not chosen because they were special, but because 
of God's grace and covenant love. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7 verses 6 and 8, they talk of Israel being chosen and, and, and how, why they were chosen. And it's the same for us. They say, it says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were few, the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you, with a, brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Who were Israel? Who were they? They were God's chosen people, his tre treasured possession. Who are Christians today? God's chosen people, his treasured possession. If you are a Christian, God chose you. He, he chose to set his affection on you. We're not better, right? You are not better. Paul, Peter was, was not better, but we are chosen. And there's the beauty in these short introduction to the letter of every member of the Trinity at work in order to choose and save you. So you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So not just because, when it says the foreknowledge, that's not just because he knew in advance, but he planned in advance. It was always his plan to choose you. If you're a Christian, you, you, right, you know you, were chosen by God, God, the creator God, the one in heaven. Doesn't, doesn't mean you can do what you want because he chose you, we'll see that for sure through this letter. Doesn't mean that we should be fatalistic, oh what's the point, if it's, if it's all his choice then, then who cares, what's the point? No, our actions still matter, that is very clear. And, and, and Peter is, is very happy with these kind of dual things that, yeah, he chose us and our actions still matter. God chose us. And it is really good news that, that God chose us and it's not the other way around, really. Now, it would make more sense if it were the other way around. Because God, he's a good choice. He is, he's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He is the creator, he's all-powerful. He's really choosable. He's a really good choice. Now, you and I, I get, let me speak for myself, I guess. <laughs> I am not that, I'm not that special. I'm, I'm flaky, I'm fickle. I, I'm, I'm not a great choice. We're all the same, we, we are not a great choice. We're not that choosable, but God, really good choice, God, he chose you and me. He is really kind. It is good news because it is unmerited. It's undeserved that we are chosen. Another way it's good, Peter is keen to be honest about the struggles that Christians face. Life, life is hard for everyone. And often, especially for Christians. The encouraging bit's coming. Peter's, he wants to be very clear throughout the letter that that's the case. It's good that God the Father chose you because it means that whatever struggle you face, and 
face real struggles, whether it's serious illness, cancer, your, your own cancer or in a loved one, whether you're just feeling let down by people time and time again, people who you kind of thought loved you and it's difficult, whether it's financial, strain, family breakdown or whatever. Real struggles, but because God the Father chose you, whatever struggle you face, we are comforted by the reality that he holds us tight. He chose, we didn't choose him, so we, we can just kind of relax into his choice. There's a great hymn that says, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. It's great news that he chose me. We are chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, as it says in the passage, normally when the New Testament talks of sanctification, it's kind of talking of the ongoing process of being sanctified to be more and more like Jesus as we live our lives. Um, it, it, in this instance, though, it's talking about how someone becomes part of the chosen people of God, how they get saved. They are saved by being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is, sanctified means set apart. The work of the Holy Spirit in the salvation of a Christian is to set them apart from the world. To, to stand them out as different. It's a bit like, I, I, I don't actually know if this is a real thing or if this is just kind of how it is in movies. If you were to go and buy a puppy from a litter of puppies, um, I don't know if this is exactly how it would be, you know, kind of in, in the films at least, where there's like a, they're in a box and you, you pick one. It's like that the spirit has set us apart. The, the, the puppy is set apart, it becomes different. Possibly it's set apart even from its own family because it has a new master, a new home, a new owner, etc. You, you, get, you get the point, we are set apart. We've got a, we're set up, maybe even from our family, We've got a new home, a new master, a new owner. Christians have been set apart in that way. And we are sanctified to be obedient. Now again, actually, here is talking about obedience in salvation. Peter, through the letter, actually goes back and forth talking about obedience in our saving faith and obedience as a result of our saving faith. It's like the Exodus series that we were preaching through. Saved out of slavery by grace, but saved into obedience as well. There's a great verse in chapter 2, verse 16 of 1 Peter. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Live as, God's, live as free people, live as God's slaves. That's the same thing. That is true freedom. Those uh, who are also sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is referring to Exodus. Again, this where we saw that's kind of a pre-telling of what has now happened. Uh, and Peter's showing this is the fulfilment. God has 
save them in Exodus. He saved them out of slavery. Then in Exodus 24, God properly sets Israel apart as his chosen people. And sacrifices were made and Moses took the blood and splashed half from, from the blood from the sacrifices, splashed half of it against the altar of sacrifice. Then in verses 7 and 8, it says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. That's that obedience as a result of salvation. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Blood sprinkled on them. It's the confirmation of the fact that they are chosen and that their sins are paid for. And it's the same for us. Unfortunately, what was physical for them is, is kind of supernatural and metaphorical for us. And we don't actually get sprinkled with blood. Uh, we do have baptism, though, which is more than a sprinkling of physical water. If you have got wet in the waters of baptism, you have a physical reminder that you are chosen by God. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ. And remember, this is Peter, right? The guy who repeatedly tried to stop Jesus from dying. Kind of saying, no, you need to die. He tried chopping an ear off. He tried all sorts. And now he's got to a place where he sees how vital the cross was. And he encourages believers that the blood of Christ has washed them clean. Blood that when sprinkled, right, doesn't actually stain, but removes stains chosen by grace saved by grace he's done it all that's what it means to be chosen by God and why it's God why it's good news what does it mean that Christians are exiles in this land and how should that determine the way that we live as Christians if you haven't got it yet Christians are strange people we're weird in the world's eyes that is what we are it's part of the reason we might struggle to tell people that we're Christians, you know, at work or wherever it is, because we're worried that they'll think that we're a weirdo. And they would be right to think that in this world. I don't know how you felt about kind of pledging allegiance to King Charles, that thing that was a thing. That doesn't really matter. I'm not talking about that. But Christians are those who say we already have a king. And our king is some Middle Eastern man who lived 2,000 years ago who we believe died and then rose again and, and now sits on a throne in heaven and rules and reigns over all the universe. We've, that's our king. In this world, they have some crazy ideas, there's some crazy beliefs that we hold to. What makes us different is that Jesus is our king. Our affiliation with him is weird and offensive. John 15 verses 18 and 19 Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, they might not hate us, but they will think we're odd until God works in their heart to, to change them. And actually, surveys in, show that in the UK, most non-Christians who who have Christians as friends would describe their Christian friends very positively on, on the ground, but still as different. It's like me in America. Sometimes I can be offensively different, right? Sense of humor sometimes clashes, sometimes attractively different. And often it's kind of both at the same time. 
Maybe you are a foreigner in England, you're not English, uh, and you, you relate to a lot of these from your kind of own experiences. I would want to clarify, Grace Church is not a British, not a white British church. For the, for the people of Grace Church, our primary citizenship is, is heaven. And we, as Grace Church, want to represent the church in our diversity. We share our citizenship as people of God. So just please do not feel like you are less welcome if you are not English, like you're less welcome to get involved. Uh, quite the opposite. You are so welcome. It's so good to have you with us. So how should we live as Christians in light of this reality? Really, this is the key question. How do we respond to the difference we experience in this world? And we've got options. We could fit in, conform. Do we fight? Try and make sure everyone behaves like us and fight until they do. Flight? Do we just kind of retreat to a Christian bubble of bliss? Or is it something else? Spoiler, as you can probably work out, it's something else. But, uh, but this is not a new question that we are asking. The recipients of this letter were facing this thing too. How do we respond to our difference? And here's why it's none of those things. The first uh, that we should fit in, and this is really the most unbiblical and absurd. Why don't we just stop being different? Why don't we just conform to the world? It might be hard sometimes that we are different, but we are meant to be. Jesus said, we should be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Don't lose your saltiness. What good is that? I, sometimes the church is criticised for being out of step, or out of touch with the modern world. Sometimes, even from people inside the church, and this is just the most ridiculous criticism ever. We, we absolutely should be out of step with this world that we're in. And if the church had never been different, then we would live in a very different world right now with things, healthcare and education and, and anti-slavery coming out of the church because the church has been different that we live in the world we live in. And to say that we should be more in step, it's just, I don't understand it at all. It's totally unbiblical. Second one, not that popular in the UK that we should fight in history. It's been done physically to the shame of the church. Um, but, but, but a kind of a more subtle way to die. We, just, we should not expect unbelievers to act like believers. We shouldn't try to make them act like us. To do that would be to totally miss the point of the gospel at work in hearts. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not to fight people. Flight is an increasingly tempting option. I, I get it. Like the, the Amish lifestyle pretty appealing to me. I think, yeah, that sounds quite nice, go and do that. And, and it's kind of increasingly concerning what our children are exposed to. I, I understand the temptation to flight, but we are not just aliens. aliens. We are called to serve this world, as we'll see. What then? It's kind, of, it's kind of a bit of all of the above. Now in the Old Testament, after God saved Israel out of Egypt, he then gave them a land, but they kept messing up and rebelling. So God sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians to overthrow and deport them. And so the people of Israel were then literally exiles in a foreign land. 
And then throughout the Bible, Babylon becomes a picture of the foreign land that the people of God live in. And in Jeremiah, the prophet wrote a letter with the words of God for how they should behave as exiles. God was quite specific and shows how we should live as metaphorical exiles. And Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 7 says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So we don't fit in and conform. Our identity is as God's people. We keep our identity but we do settle down, build houses, plant gardens. These things take time. So we should, we should invest in the world that we are in. We should get to know people, get involved with the local community, not just at a surface level, but hey, take genuine interest in the people that you're surrounded by, in their families and in their lives. Remember the names of their families as you ask again and again, how are your family? Show them that you have hope as a Christian and then be ready to explain that hope. Settle in, get to know people. And we don't fight the locals, as it were, but we, we do fight for them, in a way. We seek the peace and the prosperity of our city, where we live. We care, we genuinely care about the place and the people uh, that God has put us around. So... I'm not just talking about the, in the UK, but your, your job, in your, in your street, in your extended family, even if you don't like any of them. <laughs> love them, care for them, and pray for them, and seek their prosperity. And while we don't fight against them, we do fight for justice. Right? It's very clear throughout the Bible, whether we are in exile or at home, we should graciously and passionately fight for justice for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and we don't fly away and hide but we do remember our identity and our calling and and we do gather together regularly to support one another most notably on Sunday mornings as this morning we, we kind of for a time leave the world and step into heaven on earth in the presence of one another fellow exiles and in the presence of god we don't fly away permanently but we do get support from one another in community jesus i think sums it up in his prayer to the father in john 17 verses 15 and 18 he says in his prayer to god the father my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So we are different as the people of Jesus. But Jesus is not kind of rallying us. Hey, get your flip-flops, get your, your acoustic guitars. Come on, let's Let's get in a holy huddle and sing, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, and all kind of just singing and waiting for Jesus to take us home. No, Jesus is clear 
We are not of this world, just as he is not. But his landing emphasis is not that you're not of the world, but it is, but I have sent them into the world. We are sent into this world. We're not here by accident. We are strange and we are different, but he has not called us home yet. We are here for as long as we're here to be a blessing to this broken world. Christian, remember you are chosen by God and set apart and you are exiles in this land, but we have been sent here to be strange and to be a blessing. We are elect exiles. And Peter ends this introduction with this amazing kind of salutation, grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's so much better than kind regards or whatever we might use. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. He says to these people who are struggling in a difficult situation, grace, that is God's unmerited favour. We don't deserve to be chosen. Grace to you. It's also a power. Grace for godly living. Grace to persevere in the hope that we have. Grace to serve Jesus and to shine brightly for him. As a church, we want to enjoy God's grace. We have a vision to do that and a heart to do that. If we're not enjoying the grace of God, then we're going to struggle to shine for him. Grace and peace. He says to these people who are struggling, we have peace with God as Christians and we do have struggles. Life is hard, but this is a promise. We can know peace even in the midst of suffering and persecution. Even our brothers and sisters who are suffering real persecution, they can, by the grace and mercy of God, know the peace of God in their situation. And so can we. What a way to wrap up. My prayer for us, my kind of pronounced blessing, grace and peace be yours in abundance.